The Old Testament reading for this, the first Sunday in Lent, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation. Great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. This is the word of the Lord. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the tenth chapter. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The season of Lent is a journey to the cross. And that journey begins here in the wilderness. Jesus has just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Father has proclaimed him to be the Son with whom he is well pleased, and his earthly ministry has officially begun. And what a beginning it is. This is the Messiah that has been promised since Adam and Eve. Jesus is the Savior that the world has been waiting for for thousands of years. You would think that his ministry would begin with this angel fanfare and joyous parades and celebrations. You would think it would begin with the crowds clamoring together, waving palms and shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it doesn't. Instead, it begins with Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to go toe-to-toe with the devil the very adversary that he came to destroy. No warm-up battles, no flanking and maneuvering, just a full-on frontal assault by the devil to try to get Jesus to bow to his sinful will. Now, when we read about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, we tend to downplay it a little bit in our mind. We think to ourselves, well, what's the big deal? He's Jesus. He was sinless. This is no problem for him, right? Wrong. Luke gives us one of those little understatements in the Bible, but it's so important. It says that after 40 days and nights of fasting without eating anything, he says Jesus was hungry. And we think to ourselves, duh, I can barely go 40 minutes without eating and I'm hungry. But it's an important fact. Because Jesus was fully human. He was hungry. In fact, the only way that he could have lasted that long without eating and drinking is because he was also fully God. But these were genuine temptations. And they were temptations to sin. To veer from God's path that the Father had laid out before the Son and to instead follow the ways of the devil. The first temptation was to command this stone to become bread. Oh, what a temptation that would have been. He was hungry and bread would have been awfully good. 
The act itself would not have been sinful. Because Jesus absolutely had the power to do that. And he did many miracles involving bread and feeding people. But it's the drive behind it. Satan is saying, God told you to fast. But right here, you could easily get out of it. You could break that fast. You could have yourself a delicious piece of bread and all that pain would be done. Don't trust God. Trust yourself. And prove to me who you really are. Prove that you're this son of God that you claim to be. But Jesus won't take the bait. He withstands. And how does he do it? Not by his own strength, not by his own wisdom. He goes to Scripture. He goes to that infallible word of God that is given to each and every one of us to resist the devil. He quotes Scripture and says, Man shall not live by bread alone. And of course, the rest of that verse that he quotes is, But by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, setting the stage for the rest of this passage. So then the devil shows him the world, all the kingdoms, all the glory, the splendor, the might, and says, all this could be yours. Now again, at a glance, we kind of chuckle at that and say, it's already his. But this was a real temptation. Because this was why Jesus came in the first place. He came to win them back from the devil. To have the nations be his once again. And here the devil is offering a shortcut. No pain, no death, no suffering, no cross. Just do the simple thing, bend the knee to the devil, and all of it is his right now. What's the big deal, right? Well, for starters, of course, it's idolatry. And again, it's going against the plan that God the Father had laid out from before time began. And so again, Jesus refuses the temptation. And he does so by going to Scripture and saying, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. No matter what the promised reward, no matter how great it might seem, no matter how tempting the devil's offers are, there is nothing worth turning away from the one true God. And so then the devil takes him to the temple, where the devil is quite comfortable. And he says, If you are the Son of God, and I really doubt it, throw yourself down from here. Because, and then... He quotes scripture. Does that make us nervous? That the devil is quite comfortable speaking the word of God, twisting it around a little bit to make it suit his needs? We need to be aware of that. But he says, throw yourself down. Prove it to me. Because scripture says God would not let his Messiah suffer. God will send the angels that you won't even strike your foot on a stone. The temptation is the original one that the devil came with in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Do you really trust and believe what God promises? Are you willing to show me your trust? Or do you maybe not have the faith, not believe God the way that you claim you do? 
He plants that seed of doubt and wants to watch it sprout into disbelief. But again, Jesus refuses. And he goes to the word of God, relying on it, and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I know his love and his might. I don't have to prove anything. And I believe that in the event that that happens, God would spare me. But I am not going to force him to prove it. The devil sought to make Jesus do his satanic bidding, but Jesus would not. Instead, he took refuge in the word of God and stood fast in the face of sinful temptation, refusing to give in to the devil's requests. Why? Why did Jesus endure these temptations? Well, a lot of people say it was that he set forth the example for us so that when we ourselves find ourselves in temptation, we too would look to God instead of ourselves. And to an extent, yes, that's true. We are daily tempted to turn away from the path that God has laid before us. We are constantly tempted to doubt God's word, to come up with our own way, to worship the devil and the world, to trade our heavenly heritage for the shiny trash of this world. And we see how Jesus continually turned to the word of God in its proper context and stood firm against the devil's temptations. But there's much, much more to it than just that. Believe it or not, in high school, I actually played football for a little while. Now, before you get any ideas of championships or state recognition, please understand this. I was terrible. I did not have a lot of school spirit, didn't particularly care if we won or lost. I was horribly out of shape and had no interest in improving. And I wasn't really good friends with our quarterback. And so as an offensive lineman, I didn't feel the need to protect him that well. (laughs) I mostly played because people said that I looked like I should play football. But I was never any good, never really enjoyed it. But I will never forget one of our coaches. We'll call him Coach Nichols. Coach Nichols was a motivator. He was the guy who tried to get everyone fired up. He was the one who was always yelling, do better, hit harder, run faster. No matter how much you gave, he always wanted more, and he wasn't afraid to yell at you to try to get it from you. And I will never forget him because I found him to be one of the most frustrating people that I had ever met. Because for all of his yelling at us to do better, he himself was absolutely unable to do anything that he told us to do. He was about five and a half feet tall and about five and a half feet wide. His favorite spot on the field was in the shade near the water fountain while we were doing our drills or in the golf cart chasing us as we ran laps. Whenever he came up with some new drill or exercise for us to do, he always had to explain it in words because there was no way that he could actually do it himself. Some coaches lead by example. He led by yelling from afar, Come on, you can do better! And just once... 
I wanted to turn around and shout back at him, Yeah, but you can't. Jesus is not Coach Nichols. Jesus came not just to shout from the sidelines, but to actually stand in our place. Jesus is not the guy who has no idea what's actually involved, but still shouts advice. Well, come on, why can't you resist sin a little bit better? He's not the general sitting in the comfortable office asking his soldiers to do the impossible. He is not the far-off God who rubs his head and goes, Well, gosh, why can't you do better out there, people? Jesus came to us in the flesh to walk among us, to be us, to face everything that we ourselves face. He did not send an angel or a representative. He came to us in the flesh. He did not set up a magical shield that kept him in this bubble of happiness, but he went face to face with the devil. He suffered the same pains and sufferings that we ourselves do. He endured the same heartaches, betrayals, and disappointments that we ourselves do. He stood beneath the same sinful temptations that we ourselves face each and every day. And trust me, the devil's tempting, it wasn't just a three and out thing. These weren't the only temptations that Jesus faced. It's not like like Satan went, well, I tried, he didn't give in on these three, and then gave up on tempting Jesus. No, the passage ends with the devil departing until an opportune time. Satan was constantly tempting Jesus the entire time that he was on earth. Tempting Jesus to abandon his mission, to leave the path that God had laid before him, to turn his back on these wretched sinners who didn't appreciate him one bit. Do you realize, in this account, God did to himself the exact thing that he teaches us to pray that he not do to us. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And yet, here, God leads Jesus into temptation. It's not the devil who drug him out into the wilderness. He is led or driven by the Holy Spirit. He put him there, fully in harm's way, to take the brunt of the devil's assault. We beg God daily not to do this to us, and he doesn't. But for us, he led his only begotten son into temptation. And there in the wilderness, Jesus stood firm in the word of God, firmly in your place. He didn't come just to set an example and show us that it can actually be done. If that's all that Jesus did, we are still lost Because we do salvation like I did football. We don't really care. We have no interest in getting better. We're content being terrible as long as we don't have to do any actual work. We are sinners to the core and there is nothing that we could do by ourselves to make ourselves as good as we need to be to get into heaven. It doesn't matter how good of a game plan Jesus laid out for us. It doesn't matter how good of an example he set. God's standard is perfection Holiness, absolute freedom from sin. Heaven, by definition, is without sin. 
And so we sinners have no hope of getting there because we are by nature sinful and unclean, corrupted to the very core. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we do, no matter how people yell at us, do better, we will never be good enough. And so in love, Jesus came not just to set a good example, but to do it all for us. To stand in our place and do what we never could. He doesn't just show us what to do and say, there, now you do it too. He does absolutely everything. Fulfilling his own perfect law in our stead. Doing the hard work and giving us the full benefits. He kept God's word perfectly and gave us his holiness and perfection. In return, he took upon himself our sin, our filth, our rebellion to carry that unimaginable load that we were weighed down by. The load that we could never free ourselves of, he took it from us. He who was perfect and holy and without sin. He who never once gave in to the devil's wicked temptations. He became the very embodiment of sin taking every single transgression upon himself, everything ever committed, and putting it on his own innocent shoulders. And to complete our victory, he took all that sin to the cross, walking the long path that God the Father had laid out before him, knowing that it led to humility, aggravation, horrible pain, and death itself. And he did this not just to show us where we should take it ourselves, saying, come on, guys, you need to suffer better. But he did it to pay that staggering price in full on our behalf. He suffered the full brunt of God's wrath that should have been ours. He endured the pain and the agony that we deserve to suffer for all eternity. He willingly gave himself over to death, the death that we had earned by our sin. He did it all for you because you couldn't do it yourself. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, breaking the chains of death that bound us. All who look to him in faith are set free, not by how well we can do it, but by how completely he did it. Those who call upon his name in faith will be saved will rise again to new life, will be with him forever in that perfect paradise of heaven that we could never earn, but he won for us. And there we will face no more temptations because sin won't even be a memory for us. There we will bask in the eternal joy of his glory and majesty, serving him willingly day and night, singing his praises forever. In the wilderness... And all throughout his time on earth, Jesus stood in your place and faced the same sinful, satanic temptations that you yourself face each and every day. The temptation to doubt God, the temptation to turn away from his way, the temptation to cast aside his word. All of these Jesus faced constantly. But Jesus stood firm, not giving an inch. 
not just to show you how you can better withstand them yourself, though we certainly do strive to live by his example, but he did it to fulfill the law on your behalf, to do what you could never do, to fully stand in your place and win the victory that you could not. He's not some useless cheerleader shouting from the sidelines for you to do better. He is your Savior. He's the one who put himself fully in harm's way to win the victory for you. As we look to the cross this Lenten season and all throughout our lives, we give thanks for the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. We rejoice that he came to stand with us and to win for us. We strive to stand firm in the face of temptation as he did, relying on God's word instead of our own strength. But when we fail, which we will because we are still sinners, we know the joyous message of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.